Hi, and welcome to The Spoil Voters, a podcast based around the 2020 general election and the fallout after as we prepare for life under the 33rd dawn. If, if he's not looking for a wide with the offer room, that's the only thing. But um, ah, I don't see it as much of a response as more of a manifesto themselves. Like um, They kind of need it because, let's be fair, Michael Martin wants to be Taoiseach. Disinfected uh, as a solution to COVID-19. He will say anything that he thinks or he will invent something in his head he thinks might fix it. Hello and welcome to the Spoiled Voter Podcast with me, Ty McNally. This week, we've had a fairly uninteresting time in Irish politics. Nothing has really happened except we now have a response to the Fianna, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael program, not program for government, policy framework document by the Green Party. And to discuss this this week, I am joined by Shane Brennan and Callum Atkinson. How you doing, Doug? Hello. How are you? We're also going to look at, later on in the show, we're going to look at uh, dangerous information with uh, what's going on in America and Trump and his disinfectants and all all the the things that is wrong with what he's saying. So Greens have released their framework document and within that they are looking to see trials for universal basic income. Now, how feasible is that, Callum? I think it's 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 feasible to do trials, uh, small small trials, because a lot of other countries have done it. But uh, I don't think it's it's feasible to roll it out to the full to the whole country. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's something that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael could accommodate trials at least. Um, I think that's one of the f- it's one of the like bigger ideas. Like it's a it's a big long term idea that. Which I have to say, there is a kind of there is a lot of that in the document that the Greens produced, which was there wasn't a lot of detail, but it's, I thought it was in, it was impressive the the big policies that they're putting on the agenda. It's quite ambitious from like looking at it. There is a lot in it, like the universal basic income, ending direct provision, uh, building public so building public housing, social housing, and affordable cost rentals on public land, uh, reducing carbon reducing greenhouse gas emissions by seven percent every year which is i think that's a, that's a massive target to hit consecutive to have to hit that seven seven percent consecutively over the course of a five-year government would be i'd imagine quite difficult especially in rural areas but what what do you think Shane, of the, um, the policy document you're right the, the 17 points they're laid out are reasonably ambitious and they have to be because in order to get a two-thirds majority through because the, the parliamentary party and the whole party as a whole to get into government, they have to have an impact in the direction of policy the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are taking. Let's be fair about this. The Labour Party and the Social Democrats are two of the small centre-left parties that have been courted for this, you know, who's going to be the small party to, to come in. They, haven't, they don't have an ethos of having one main particular issue which they push on, which is their reason to be, um, their raison d'etre. So well, I would I would but, argue but, there with the that slauncher care and health would be the social democrats. But okay, but it's not it's the same as the 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 identification the Greens have of pushing an environmental policy, and you see that with the fact that they want to to to, to uh, reduce our carbon emissions by seven percent each year, which is doubling what it is at the moment, having a, a, up to a million electric cars over the next five years on the roads, and um, want to invest in offshore wind and solar power things like that. I even heard Eamon Ryan talking on the last word of Matt Cooper, and he had a sort of quite an interesting argument with Michael Healy Ray, who uh, was quoted saying he'd, be, he'd re- reconsider where he was living 
if Eamon Ryan was Taoiseach. Um, just on that, Eamon Ryan has said that he does not, that he, even if it was off to him for uh, Michal Martin for two years, Leo Varadkar for two years, Eamon Ryan for one, that's not what he's looking for. Mm. And uh, so that's just not going to happen. Did he say he wouldn't take it though? He 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 said that he said that, that we are not looking for it. He's not it's, he's not looking for it. I think mean, he didn't explicitly rule out that he wouldn't take it. Oh, I mean, if, if it was offered, I think he would take it. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, if 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 he's not looking for it, why would he offer him? That's the only thing. But um, ah, but, but you never know. Here's here's my main point. The Greens, if they were to join government, if they had a very robust climate policy that they can prove to their members that they are fundamentally changing the course of this country in terms of how we tackle climate change. Because let's face it, this COVID-19 crisis is a short-term crisis and it's, very, it's a lot easier for us to see the effects of that in comparison to climate change. Whereas the Greens, obviously they see climate change as the big crisis of our time, the challenge of our time. So it, they, they can sell it to their own um, membership in that way, easier than... Labour or the Social Democrats, and there are also problems between those with those parties. First of all, um, Fine Gael, for example, will, are saying that they will not back down their promise to to uh, to that they you know, they've promised that they will not increase income tax or USC. That was a promise they made in the 2011 to 2016 government that caused a lot of friction between Fine Gael and Labour. And the fact that that promise is still there means Labour have another reason to say, "Look, I'm going to back away from this." As well as that. Um, Things like uh, universal uh, basic income, things like that, if they're not going to raise taxes in some way, even if it's to the, the higher echelon of society, where are they going to get the money to pay for all this? Because we're already in so much debt. Uh, we, we're, not, we, we're not quite sure what way the European Union is going to work to actually uh, help out economies as we rebuild after this crisis. Because unemployment is, is, is going to be quite high and we're not going to just, you know, light switch moment and we're going back. And so to avoid austerity measures, um, I can't see, as they're trying to do all the other things to make sure that austerity doesn't kick in and, and they're still trying to build housing hospitals and move in a climatic way, that they're going to roll out universal basic income. I don't think it's going to happen. I think what we need to look at over the next few weeks of movement is what's going to happen with uh, promises towards the health system. Because I think that this crisis has really shown that there needs to be a, a robust health system in this country that is effective on all levels and now that we have essentially a, a one a single tiered healthcare system with the government temporarily taking over private hospitals or the bill i i think it's over there's well over 100 million a month um to use these hospitals i'm not sure what the exact figure um 115 million i think it was 115 um what if if that can be continued and if that's going to cost even more money so there'll be less money in the government's pocket to spend on things like trialing universal basic income or reducing uh, our greenhouse gases provision. Well, there are a few things that, that could happen to, to raise money. First of all, um, uh, I know that members of the Green Party have been looking for a long time to drop the, the case against the, uh, the Apple task case and just collect the money. I wonder mm. whether or not that, that'll be something in the background as they're trying to, to get some money in. Even though I know Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil aren't likely to do that, they're quite happy to let uh, large companies who invest in Ireland um, sort of take advantage of to be sort of neutral about this um, of, of our of our tax laws and, and our way of, of taxating, taxating people um, as well as that there are funds in the European Union which the Greens have said that we can tap into 
to invest in ourselves. There's a lot of these job losses that are coming now which aren't replaceable. So I suppose what the Greens are, have been pushing together is to try and, you know, instead of just, you know, reopening the businesses that were already closed, we can use whatever money we can get from the European Union for to sort of invest in green business. Like a lot of people will be needed to build uh, infrastructure like solar panels, offshore wind, uh, ex- ex- uh, expanding the national grid, um, building new cycleways, walkways, uh, public transportation, all that kind of thing. And there is European money that we know that is there for it. Whereas mm-hmm. we don't know what the European Central Bank is going to do. We don't know what the Irish Central Bank is going to do to try and put money into the economy. As you said, Ty, um, healthcare is a big issue. And I hope that whoever is in government can sort of follow through and have a more comprehensive way of giving the health service exactly what it needs to, to function. Because let's face it, I don't think we've ever had a health service that hasn't elicited a huge amount of scandal over years, over the years. And whether or not it will change with Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil in power with the Greens, uh, it will, will, be, will be interesting to see. And I'm not really sure what, in terms of health, we're in the 17 uh, red lines that the Green Party set out. Because a lot of them were based on uh, other infrastructure projects or green projects. Um, but I didn't, I didn't notice much on health. Whereas, again, you said, whereas the Social Democrats for example, have more of a, of a portfolio, policy portfolio for that. I think the one thing on health was that they need to analyse um, the pandemic and like look at the effects and what we need to do forward. But I don't think there was anything specifically on healthcare. It seems to be, it's a very, it's a mostly green-based policy uh, paper. And as well, I, I, I was looking at the, their, how they want to rebalance their transport the Irish transport spending budget, and they're looking for to spend. They're looking to spend twenty percent on cycling, twenty percent of the budget on cycling and walking, and then the remaining uh, two thirds, which is eighty percent, on public transport. So that would mean there is only approximately twenty seven percent being spent on non public transport or cycling and walking, and what sort of where does that leave like the building of roads and road maintenance and stuff like that? Because there's this is some stuff that is going to have to continue once this is done. Because cars aren't going to disappear overnight. I don't think the, the amount of time people are spending their cars is going to change drastically when this this becomes a new government. Well, they they've spent enough money on roads though over the years. It's um it's time that they invested in. The reason a lot of people use cars is because the cycling and you know pedestrian infrastructure is so poor I do think I think actually the farmers protests in town uh, you know they they actually pedestrianised streets for a while there was no cars in the city centre and then with this I haven't been in town myself but I've heard a lot uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people talking about how you know how much cleaner the air is in town how much you know nicer it is to walk around so I do think that which the Greens obviously they have the reputation as like you know whatever tree huggers or whatever but I do think their policies about you know the future of cities and tra- transport particularly I do think they're they're quite powerful and um, qu- quite popular um, just another general thing though on the the document which uh, like obviously I said it's it's ambitious and all, but it was 
billed as a response to the Fine Gael and Fine Gael, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael thing. I don't know. I didn't really see it as much of a response as more of a, you know, manifesto themselves. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like picking out a point on the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael document and then, uh, uh, ba- uh, building off it. Like, which kind of, I don't know what the, I know it, it, it shows what the Greens want to do, but I don't know in terms of, you know, negotiations and stuff like that, what does it really advance the process? Should, should this really be done behind closed doors? But, but I, I'm um, not sure. But, but in fairness, uh, based on what I've read this morning, fin- members of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, Fianna Fáil in particular, are very open to all the suggestions in the document. I find that so, incredibly so- hard to believe, though. Well, that's that's the way that they've been talking about it. Um, that they say that everything is, you know, seems very doable. Again, it's hard to believe because it's very different to the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael that we've been accustomed to. And I don't know whether or not that those parties themselves think, well, we have to accustom to the change vote and change ourselves. Um, I think that's the big reason why that they are going to be so lenient towards this because it is a drastically different policy document to what they have had in the past. But just because of how differently the country voted last in in February, they think they I think they need to they've woken up that we okay we actually do need to bring on a change component to this and maybe the, the Green Party is this change component. The illusion of change. The illu- that's that's all that's all they 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 want to uh, you know uh, they want the public to perceive this type of change whether it actually come about whether it'll actually. Whether Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will challenge the the vested interests that have uh, controlled them for so many years, I I don't think there's any uh, prospect of that actually happening. And that, and just just sorry, just on that illusion of change point, um, they kind of need it because let's be fair, Michal Martin wants to be Taoiseach, and Fine Gael want to, still want their minister positions, but they need another party to hop in. You need to get yeah. the illusion that that, that something's changing mm-hmm. so that one of them will vote. And the Greens, who need so much grassroots support, will vote to get in. Because as much as you, you hear rumblings that Labour might jump in, in the uh, quote it, for the national interest, um, you know, you're still not you're still not sure they have to entice them in and not just wait for somebody to pussy out. Okay, I think I think we'll leave it there on that. But I want to talk now about we have a, over in the United States we have a, a U.S. president who is advocating that we should look to try and use disinfectant uh, as a solution to COVID-19. And not as in disinfectant as in you wash your counters more often than you used to, but you use disinfectant on people. Um, I believe he suggested, could we use it uh, because we inject it? Uh, and could we also use really, really bright lights um, to, to help cure the coronavirus? Now, I think, I think this, is, this is a very, very dangerous game that Trump has been playing the last few weeks as this pandemic has gone on. He's been constantly criticizing uh, any kind of press who go against him and try to ask him difficult questions that he just isn't prepared to answer. And I think that sentiments like this, where you parade it in front of on live television and, and advocate for using disinfectant uh, on the coronavirus is really quite dangerous. And I, I don't know what it by what it means for the future, um, but I think that he has had he's constantly disagreeing with his with Dr. Fauci, Anthony Fauci, um, 
who has been one of the lead scientists working on uh, speaking to the American public about COVID-19. And I, I just want to get your, your thoughts on the shake because I know you're our resident American expert here. Resident, uh, as in as a US citizen who, yes. uh, who has to look up to this guy as our commander in chief or commander in tweet who might uh, send what, us into war. What do you make of it all then? I've been following this quite closely. And here's the thing. When people who voted for Trump knew that he was a loudmouth, knew that, that he was unlike any other candidate in, in history, he was like, oh, well, he's, he was surrounding himself with good people. And they sort of voted to say, well, the Spanish voted knowing that the wall isn't going to happen and the wall has happened. The vote from knowing that, quote, knowing that, oh, things will calm down once he's in office. But the thing about the presidency of the United States, you're the most powerful person, well, in the United States anyway, and, and figuratively the most powerful elected leader in the world. So you, there will come a time where, you have to, where you're under a lot of pressure and you have to show that you can act. Trump, it doesn't matter how many good people he surrounds himself with. If he's in a press conference for two hours and he's desperately trying to find a way to cure this coronavirus as quickly as possible so he can reopen the economy, and appeal to his base's uh, support and reopen the economy, he will say anything that he thinks, or he will invent something in his head that he thinks might fix it. And if, and if it works, he'll be like, oh, look at me, I'm great. And he, uh, he, it's incredibly dangerous, incredibly irresponsible, and is typical of what, we, what many people who have been against it from the start have unfortunately just become accustomed to. And the sad part is, is all of these press conferences are giving two hours a day coverage on the television while he, the, the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, is getting barely any. Well, he does, so, but he doesn't want to be on TV, does he, Joe Biden? I'm a, He's been I'm hiding. A, I've been, he, he has been on a lot. No, he, he, he has his... Um, I've almost sort of gotten accustomed to his, uh, his setup now. He has like a sort of fake library behind now. He's, he's been on like American chat shows and uh, cable news TV but he doesn't like he doesn't have as much, um, you know, as much Twitter following. He doesn't have a, as as much viewership as Trump does. But the, here's the thing about Trump is you know the way he he won voters all along was on economics, getting jobs back to America, keeping jobs in, and you can see that in how he's reacting to the crisis, not in trying to save lives, but trying to save jobs in the economy. For example, he shut down immigration. He shut down all long-term immigration for the next sixty days, quote, to protect American jobs. Just for any uh, Irish listeners out there, um, that does not affect temporary visas such as J-1 visas in case you were planning going over there in the summer. Um, there was a, he, he tweeted late on Monday night saying that we're going to ban all immigration to America until we can sort this thing out, something along those lines. And there's a whole day of confusion as to what that meant. He announced in a, in a subsequent press conference that it's just for green cards for the next 60 days, which is a lot of like people who need that immigration or, or and, and including businesses in America, uh, like even just the, the Keelings uh, strawberry thing, for example, how they sort of have been embroiled in controversy. But the fact is that they needed the, 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 um, the foreign workers because Irish workers won't do it. America, it's like that all over the place. There are plenty of jobs that Americans won't do that they need immigrants for. And how Trump is banning immigrants coming in. And it's, 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 it's his natural reflex to a terrible, to to this crisis, and for once, he's now dropping in polls behind again the presumptive uh, nominee uh, Joe Biden. Uh, we see he's uh, Joe Biden's ahead in Pennsylvania, which is the state that Trump won. 
not surprising considering Biden's originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He launched his campaign in Philadelphia. Um, he's ahead in Michigan, which is a surprise. That was a very close state. And uh, Obama pissed a lot of people off in, in Michigan because of his, uh, I won't even say reaction, lack of reaction to the Flint water crisis um, that we've seen documented on Netflix and, and, and the likes. So maybe, maybe, the way this is turning, the fact that, that you see that America is, you know, we're number one in debt and everything else. And the negative ads that, that, that have been pushed out by the Democratic side, um, debunking all of Trump's sort of self-praise, I, th- I think is working well. And maybe this might work out that Trump could, could actually lose in 2020 because of his bad reaction to this. But the way he spins things on, on its head in, in, in the run-up, you just never know. You mentioning spin there has made me think of how he has been recently. He's been showing videos before his conference, which are which essentially are uh, propaganda videos. I'm going, to, I'm going to say because he he shows them that are like these these news reports that are showing him in a good in a good light uh, before his press conferences. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Callum. Do you think we're sort of entering into this sort of weird dystopian um, part of the American presidency? It's hard to know, really, because it's been going on for so long um, since he's been in office. And it's interesting that he used to not do any press briefings at the White House, but now he does one every day for like two hours, which is kind of mad, really. And I saw somebody arguing that this is because he can't do his rallies anymore and he needs to, you know, I don't know, get the ratings, get people's attention and wants to, like, it starts out, they each follow a similar format. It's like the first 20 minutes, he's like praising various business leaders around uh, the the US. He, then he gets the doctors up to talk for a bit and then he just gets into uh, massive arguments with uh, various reporters, uh, which obviously, is the way he, he just plays up, plays against the media is just, it's, it's ridiculous really. But I don't think CNN and MSNBC have helped themselves in this kind of stuff. But uh, it's clear what his strategy is. It's just to you know, vilify the media, to, get, uh, to discredit any scrutiny they try to put on him. Um, but... Uh, I suppose, like, going back to your question about is it dystopian, I suppose it is that there's a president who so anti, uh, you know, the press and anti-scrutiny and wants to just push out his own narrative regardless of the fact. Yeah, make America rate again. It's all he, it, it, he just wants the attention on himself, uh, even if that means that he's not uh, handling the crisis very well because, you know, the sort of romance around the presidency is, you know, when you go back to Harry S. Truman's, the book stops here. I'm responsible. And Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, even said he's just passed on the book to the states and to the counties. And you see pictures from Florida, which has beaches that are full. Um, other states like Georgia, for example, has already started to open up. Texas starting to open up. Um, one thing to have in common, all of Republican governors. That's one, one thing to note. Um, all these states are starting to open up, and it's it's crazy how, you know, he's quite happy just to if anything goes right. So just him saying, "Oh, my ban on uh, letting people fly in from China," he will take credit for. But he will say, "Oh, I'm not responsible for the deaths in New York, or I'm not responsible for 
the fact that they didn't close down in time. I'm not responsible for whatever. He's just shrugging off responsibility like almost like a child just because uh, he didn't want to or he didn't know how to or it wasn't politically advantageous for him to act earlier. I think I, I definitely think that we're going to see more of this as this pandemic continues. These just bizarre suggestions from Trump, it, it, it really, really confuses me. Um, and why he's con- consistently disagreeing with top scientists in his country just for, for seemingly no reason. Like I know, I know states, there's been a lot of pressure put on states to do as much testing as possible. But with the likes of Andrew Cuomo saying that he's getting no help from any kind of uh, federal body, like the White House aren't just helping at all. And for him to disagree with the likes of Fauci, who is one of the more high-profile experts on the, on uh, on diseases, saying that, he's, that they're just not going to help with testing at a state level is just bizarre to me. And I think it's it's really weird for him to keep holding back so much. Yeah, it goes back, I think, to kind of to you know his his you know motivations. I, a lot of politicians get a an awful time for, or are perceived as just being in it for themselves. But most of them do have a background in some sort of, you know, representing their communities. Whereas Trump, from this very start, has just been a vanity project. And this, this, this is a, it's a global pandemic facing everybody. You need to take the steps necessary to protect people. But in his, what he sees as is a, pro, uh, a marketing problem that's going to prevent him from winning the election in November. So he thinks uh, Fauci is, uh, he's, a, he's a doctor, yeah, but uh, he's, he's, he's helping the Democrats. I don't care if he's trying to help save people's lives. He's helping the Democrats. I need to put, it, put out a counter-narrative. And now he's, it's getting more and more desperate. So he's, he's sure, he was talking about a malaria drug a couple of weeks ago that could work. And then, Last night was the you know UV light or whatever the hell he was talking about. I think it's it is worrying, and I think the the people who are going to be most severely affected by all of this are the American public, who are who are going to come out the worst for wear, no matter what end up no matter what end up ends up happening uh, after this pandemic. Yeah, There's going to be you- a lot of dead bodies because of his inaction. I think. And the thing about Trump is he'll still find a way to spin it and make it look like it's a Democrat's fault. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't say anything about injecting uh, this fact. That's the dead hall Democrats trying to um, <laughs> trying trying to, to push their narratives that I'm failing in every way. And it's just it's Trump and his supporters seem to live on a different planet. And I know that that on the, the, you know that America is incredibly divided, and obviously people on the left don't. Are, there are some people who may not live, live on, on in the real world either, but the fact that the President of the United States and so many people in the Republican camp, like, there's a Republican congressman whose name uh, escapes me now who said that um, letting the economy uh, crash for a little bit longer is the lesser of two evils than letting another few hundred thousand Americans <laughs> die. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that, I, that, that, that's the mindset. And the fact that the oil prices are so low is just going to push that on the Republican for, side. For freedom, Shane. There's, for, there's for been freedom. a lot of, there's been a lot of, uh, I saw, uh, people willing to die for the Dow Jones. Yeah. I've seen people uh, like quite, you know, elderly people like, I don't care if I die, just reopen the economy. Uh, 
I don't know. It's mental. Well, the freedom the narrative words... in America is just bizarre to me. I'll never yeah, understand like, that. Yeah, like even the words pushed by, by Trump, uh, the tweets in all caps, liberate Virginia. Liberate, <laughs> I don't know what, I it's just three states. Liberate Michigan. Liberate Michigan, that's right. Michigan where he's now falling behind in support where he won in 2016. Yeah, liberate that, all right. <laughs> well, I think I think we've we've had a good discussion today on, on, on the, those two topics, but I think we're going to leave it here. Um, we'll be back again next Friday for more discussion. Hopefully there'll be more happening in Ireland um, and less bizarre occurrences in America. Maybe we'll have some more crazy techniques to cure the coronavirus next week. Um, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, thanks to my two panellists, Callum Atkinson and Shane Brennan. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.